We looked at how Jesus is the Messiah. He is this one who has been promised by God uh, to be the Savior. And and he uh, is also uh, Jesus, the Son of God. And he is also the one who took on that messianic title for himself by calling himself the Son of Man. And then we went on and we learned about how Jesus cast out demons and how he calmed the sea and how he raised Lazarus, uh, raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, he fed a multitude. As, at, at that time when he fed the multitude, he taught them about the kingdom of God. Then he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a mountain, and he was transfigured into a glorified body before them. He took his disciples aside and he taught them how uh, he must go to Jerusalem uh, and he must offer himself a sacrifice. Last week we looked some at how uh, Jesus called anyone that would want to follow after him. He challenged them to count the cost and to remember that if, if we are Truly to follow Jesus, we can't have a casual viewpoint of him being the priority of our lives. And so after this, uh, now, he, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, him. Um, by the way, some of your translations may read, he sent out 70, not 72, and that's an interesting study if you want to study up on why some translations say one and others another. We don't really have, I, I, I didn't want to take the time for that this morning. Um, but it says 72 others. And so the question is, other than who? And it's other than the 12 disciples. Because in, back in Luke chapter 9, the 12 went out. Um, the, the assumption here is that Jesus had other disciples, not just the 12. Uh, and that would be consistent with Acts chapter 1, where uh, scripture tells us after Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says 120 believers gathered in an upper room. And so uh, most likely these 72 were among that 120. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, it says that the apostle Peter talked about men who accompanied the disciples as they traveled with Jesus. I think it's safe to assume that these 72 were those who had truly believed in Jesus and surrendered their life to his authority in their lives. Uh, I don't think they were just random people that Jesus picked out. Um, as we look into Luke chapter, oh, by the way, in, in the last chapter, that was, or the last verse that was read, verse 20 in Luke chapter 10, it also says that these are the ones who have their names written in heaven. And so again, a reminder, they weren't just casual believers. Um, as we look into Luke chapter 10, I wanted to title the message today, uh, The First Mission Trip. But I couldn't because... Brandon already preached about the first one back in Luke chapter 9 when the 12 went out. Um, it, it's interesting, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the 12 going out on mission, but only Luke here in Luke chapter 10 records the 72 going out. So I began to put them beside each other, you know, what are the differences? And I really didn't find very many. Um, when the 12 went out, they were formally endowed with power 
and authority over demons, sickness, and disease. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, we read, Summonsing the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Now, in Luke chapter 10, verse 9, it, it tells us that the 72 were to heal the sick and tell that the kingdom of God had come, but they, there's no evidence that they got personally endowed with that power like the, like the 12 did back in Luke chapter 9. Um, but it is, it's, it's also interesting um, that they did experience the power of God because they come back saying even the demons were subject to us. Um, another difference was that the 12 were sent out, uh, but not specifically two by two. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, as they go out, they go out to villages, preaching and healing everywhere. And in Luke chapter 10, they were going in pairs to places where Jesus was about to go. And the only other difference I could really find is that Luke chapter 10 is a little bit more detailed about some of the things that they were instructed to do and about how they were to pray as they go. And Luke chapter 10 uh, indicates that there was this uh, missions team report when it was all over and they come and, and they report to Jesus. So uh, one of my questions today was, uh, how many of y'all have ever been on a mission trip of any kind? Okay, and, and a, lot, a lot of us have. And and by the way, our youth, uh, they're going to be going uh, to a city that's very close to my heart, invested in the city for a long time in St. Louis, and I'm excited about that. Uh, they're going to be doing that this summer. We have a El Salvador mission trip that's getting ready to, to launch out in um, several months, and uh, there will be an informational meeting on that uh, a week from today, right after the morning worship service. You can read about that in the bulletin. But for those of you that have been on a mission trip, I want you to think for just a minute about your first mission trip. And I would thought a little bit about my first international mission trip. It was, it was crazy. I'd never been out of the country of the United States, and I really felt like God was calling me. And uh, the place where I got called to was India. And I remember after flying to Los Angeles and going from Los Angeles to Taipei, Taiwan, and from Taipei, Taiwan to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and then from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, finally to Chennai, India, I got there. I didn't even know where I was at anymore. And I remember when we landed, um, th this was years and years ago, I remember uh, it was just so crazy. It's like everything looked different, everything smelled different, everything sounded different. Um, I remember getting off in that airport, and it just seemed so different than anything I'd ever been at. I didn't even have air conditioning, just big fans. And, and, and I, I remember we go out in the parking lot, and it's midnight, India time, and there's all these people standing there, and they're just begging, and many of them mothers with small children. And my heart just began to, to break. And I remember driving, as we drove through the streets, there, there was whole families wrapped up in a blanket with a little candle on the sidewalks, and that's where they were sleeping for the night. And as we got out into the more rural areas, uh, there were just these one one-room one thatch huts that people were living in and, and getting water out of a well, and I felt like I was back into the, the Bible days, and, and I remember thinking, man, all of the messages that I had prepared and all the illustrations that I had tried to gather, it's like, I don't have anything to be able to give these people. And I just had to go back to the basic gospel message, I remember, and and just depend on God like I never had. And I remember spending 
hours in, in, in the night just praying and seeking God, God, I am so out. I, you talk about, so out of my comfort zone. I, it's, it's like you talk about somebody with culture shock. I was probably about the worst. I, I got so sick on that first time to India, I went back a second time out of defiance to see what it was like when I wasn't sick. <laughs> and, um, you know, for those of you that have been on mission trips, true or false, life on a mission trip is a little different than everyday life. You know, on a, I mean, on a mission trip, we're so focused in on God. You know, when you wake up, it's all about, it's all about God and his, 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 his leadership moment by moment in, in the day. It's, it's all about um, how can I trust in him because I am inadequate for w- w- what I'm doing? How, how can I speak for him? How can he live in me? How can I just die to myself to live for him today? And so here's my question. Why, why isn't it like that every day? And so I came up with a new title. <laughs> every day is a mission trip. When we're truly living on mission for him. And that's, that's the challenge that I kind of sensed out of this text today. And so I think that Luke chapter 10 really offers us some help on how to live out this truth. How, how do I live on mission for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings daily. And so here's biblical insight number one out of this text is living on mission really begins in understanding that we are appointed by Jesus Christ our Lord. In Luke chapter 10 verse 1, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him. Uh, To be appointed is to be lifted up and declared uh, to have a certain role or position. And here the role that they were to play is to go out into villages that Jesus said that he was going to be going to. One of the things that these early believers understood was that the Lord had authority over them to appoint them according to his will. Uh, They understood that they weren't just going out to do their thing for Jesus, but they were coming under his authority in their life, and they were being sent out by his authority in in their lives uh, to do what he would have them to do. They were not self-appointed. It's like, well, now I'm a believer in Jesus, so I think I'll serve this way, or I think I'm good at this, or I kind of like doing these things, so that's what I'll do. No, they were just surrendered unto Jesus and coming under his appointment as the authority in their lives. Uh, In a general sense, I think we learn about this like in in, in verses like Matthew 28 at the very end of that chapter. And and in Matthew 28, 18, we read that Jesus came and said to them, and he's saying this to his disciples uh, just before, uh, after his resurrection, uh, but before his ascension. And he says these things to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so it all starts with what? Jesus' authority. All authority, he says, is mine. And then it ends with this promise of Jesus. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And sandwiched in between the authority of Jesus and the promise of Jesus is this mission. Go make disciples. 
baptize those who are true disciples and teach them to follow and observe everything that I've commanded you. In Acts chapter 1, there's a, a similar teaching. Jesus gives to his followers these directives uh, just before he ascends after his resurrection. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 4, as the disciples were doing this mission of being witnesses of Jesus, uh, they were told by the authorities, some were told by the authorities not to preach and teach about Jesus anymore. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. And so the whole church got together, not just the 12, this was everybody who was part of the church at that point. They got together, and you know what they prayed for? They prayed for boldness so that they could be about that which Jesus had appointed them to in a very general sense to be to, to be disciple makers, to, to have relationships with others in such a way that they could connect other people to Jesus Christ. Okay, so, you know, the question is, if we're, if we're really going to live on mission, do we see ourselves as appointed by him, the authority? And the Luke chapter 10 appointees understood under the authority of Jesus Christ, they were sent by him into every town and place where he was about to go. Um, I think this reminds me that our places where we are, where God has us, and the roles that God has us in are sacred. Um, in, in the sense of they're not just places where we are and roles that we have randomly, they're, they're under his appointment. And so now... I, I'm not just a neighbor, but I'm God's representative in my neighborhood. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just employed by a company, but, but I'm God's representative at the workplace. Or I don't just go to school, and I'm not just part of a club, and I, I don't just play on a sports team, but I'm God's representative where God has me. It's the appointment that makes the place sacred, not the place that makes the calling sacred. Uh, you know, we're, uh, what, what makes us missionaries is not where we are. What makes us missionaries is whose we are. And, and, and so wherever it is that God has us and is calling us, that those are sacred places because here it tells us that, that they were going to places where, where Jesus was interested in. He was coming there himself. And so we can have confidence that under his appointment, as we come under his authority, and by his appointment, that, that Jesus is interested in those where he's sending us to. So, I'm appointed. And so, the challenge is, then why not live sent? <laughs> you know, he appointed them and sent them. Just as they were sent, we are. I, I think it's unfortunate that somehow we've gotten the idea in the church, and, and I mean kind of like in the United States, as I just kind of think about how we do church sometimes in the United States. I think sometimes we, we get this idea that, that it's more like we're on a cruise liner and we bring our baggage and we're hoping that there will be those that will help us with our baggage and help us have a happy, com comfortable cruise or life. When I think the illustration that, 
better fits, and this isn't original with me, but I like it, that, that we're more like an aircraft carrier, and we come together, and uh, as we come together, we get equipped, with, uh, and, and we get patched up when we're broken, and we get fueled up when we're empty, and we get debriefed on the mission so that we can take off and go where God sends us under his authority. So we are appointed specifically to be disciple-makers, those who relate to others with the express purpose of connecting them to Jesus. And so that's biblical insight number one on living this mission life, that I would live appointed or sent. Uh, Biblical insight number two is is I think we need to understand as missionaries (laughs) that we need to live instructed or that I'm instructed. I looked at this passage and I thought, man, there is a lot here. And so we're just kind of scratching some of the surface here. But, but, but living on mission is not something that we are left to figure out on our own how to go forth. Okay, it, It's something that Jesus pours his heart out on these things. And I think, he, I, think, I think the Holy Spirit led this to be in the scriptures so that we could understand our instructions just like they had instructions. And so I want to start going through this. And it's interesting that the first instruction that Jesus gives is about embracing God's vision in our lives, that we could see the way God sees, and specifically that we could see people that were sent to the way that God sees them. He, he says here in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, um, he says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I think this is such an awesome vision that he gives. Um, and, and, of course, it's an agricultural vision. Um, it's about farmers looking at a field, you know, and, and farmers might look at a field and, and see it in the wintertime. It's just dormant. They might see it in the springtime, needs some seeds. They might see it in the summertime. It just needs time to grow. But then there's that point in time when you see it in the, in the fall, and, and it's like it's ready for harvest. And... I grew up in the city, okay? I grew up in St. Louis. Um, so, but I, I had the privilege uh, as a young man to, to live in some ag- agricultural small towns in Missouri. Farmers are interesting people, um, especially row crop farmers. Any row crop, dude, is there anybody in this church who's a row crop farmer? I, I don't guess so. But anyway, um, here, here's, here was my experience, okay? So, you know, you can, dis- you can disagree, but it's been my experience. Um, uh, these row crop farmers, you know, um, when fall time comes, what they do is they go out and they check their field. And if it's, if it's a mature crop, uh, if it's not mature, uh, they just go to Walmart, okay? And they go to the coffee shop and they wait, all right? Um, if it's mature, but the... But the, the, the uh, moisture content isn't right, and I don't even understand that, but if the moisture content isn't right, they wait, and they go to Walmart, and they go to the coffee shop. But there's that moment of time when they check out that field, and if it's mature and that moisture content is right, they, they do not go to Walmart, and they do not go to the coffee shop. They go out to that field, and they work that field. They might work 16, 18 hours that day and another 16 hours the next day because that field is wide under harvest, and it's time to go to work. I think that's what he's telling us here. If he's going go to go to all the trouble to, to bring us to an appointment and to send us out, 
He has his reasons. And it, it might not always be this great big harvest, but there are purposes for which he has us going. And he wants us to see the way he sees. I think sometimes we look at people and we say, well, I don't think they're, they would be receptive. And I'm just trying to be honest. I, don't, I think they might be hostile. Or, or we come up with these ideas of how people are. And I believe the power of what Jesus is saying is we need to learn to see people the way Jesus sees people. Do you remember when all the people were pressing up against Jesus? And, and Jesus, you know, they were seeing them as, oh, these are just all the people, all the needy people or whatever. And Jesus says, no, they're a, a, a harvest or, or, or a people that are white or ripe unto harvest. By the way, Proverbs 29, verse 18, popular verse, where there is no vision, the people perish. I looked up that word perish, and some of the versions have this, you know, it means that the people are left without a way. And isn't it sad when we lose the vision, people can be left without a way. And so instruction number one is to embrace God's vision. Uh, pray for laborers. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do we see people the way Jesus does, is, 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 is ready to receive a message? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, uh, the prayer, did you notice the prayer comes out of the vision? The vision is, I'm seeing these people the way that God sees them, and out of that vision comes a burden in my heart, and then that burden leads me to pray for even more people to, to come and to help in the work. Let me just give you an example real quick. Imagine there's a dad, and that dad uh, comes to the place of understanding, I'm the primary disciple-making person in the life of my children with my wife, okay? And so we're the primary disciple-makers. And, and, and yet, you know, with that, as that dad gets the vision of all that their children could be for the glory of God, and they start seeing their children that way, it's like, this is such a huge task that it's overwhelming to me, and that burden leads them to pray for the grandparents and for the school teachers and for the friends and for other people that have an influencing factor into their children's lives because they want other people to come and do the work because it's so important because God has put the burden in their heart. And, and the other side of this is that he's not, <laughs> I think it's really interesting, he doesn't call those who are not laboring to pray. He's calling the ones that are already appointed to, to, to join in the prayer because they share the burden. It's not like, well, since, I don't, since, I, since I'm not called and I'm not sent, I guess I'll just be the person of prayer. No, we're all called. We're all sent in various ways, and we're to pray for the things that God puts the burden on our heart about. Every day is a missions day when we're praying for those spiritual needs and the spiritual harvest and workers in the field. Here's number three, third, third instruction here, is to actually live sent. You know, uh, he, he says in verse three, he says it like this, go your way. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Go your way. He's not saying just go wherever you want to go, but he says, go your way, I'm sending you. you. You go where I'm sending you. But it's your way in the sense that not everybody's going in the way that I'm sending you. Other people are going in the way that I'm sending them. So go your way as I'm sending you. Follow your call. 
You know, our, our calls are oftentimes specific things. As we listen to God speak to our heart, you know, uh, you know, about our appointment. And it could be in so many different ways. Maybe it's to be a, a godly husband, disciple maker in the family, to wash my wife, my wife with the word of God like the word of God says and, and to make that a priority. Maybe it's to be a wife who, who comes underneath her husband and, 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 and in that submissiveness and lifts him up to be the man of God that God's called him to be. Maybe it's to be the parents who uh, are, in, you know, are to raise their children up in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, perhaps it's to be a person who loves their neighbor as their self and to realize that it's as I live out my faith as the light of the world that other people will be able to see in me something that will help them glorify God on the day that God visits them. And so that would live this life. You know, appointed, whether it's in the family, my community, my church, uh, you know, our way is, is the way that God, you know, convicts and speaks to me in my heart as I come under his appointment. How do we go? <laughs> We go out wherever he sends us. And the next one, man, I really struggled on what to call it. I called it aware but not afraid. But, you know, maybe a better phrase would be humble confidence. Aware but not afraid. Uh, the, the next verse here, verse 3. Uh, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You know, aware but not afraid. Aware, that means I need to go wisely and realize that there's going to be opposition. There, there's going to be personal spiritual warfare as I go. There, there, there's going to be other people that aren't going to be excited about the message of Jesus going forth and resistive to that. And so go aware, but not afraid, you see. Not afraid, because he's with us. Um, you know, the war, by, by the way, I think part of this going aware is realizing we're the lambs, not the wolves. And let me just speak into that for a minute. Uh, the world is fulfilled with powering up on others' ma manipulative kind of things for personal gain and power dynamics, but not Jesus' appointees. We are not salespeople and we are not public relations experts. We are not trying to manipulate someone to see the world the way that we see it. We are seeking to bring out the tr spiritual truths of God that the Holy Spirit might speak to someone's life. Not strong armor. Push people around. That's not Jesus' way. No, share the truth in love. That's how we're to go. Willing to face opposition and realizing that it may be there the Bible exposition commentary says, any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes a target for the devil. There's an old preacher, Vance Havner, who once said, most church members do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. Jesus' instruction, we need to be aware, not afraid. We're, we're, she we're, we're, we're sheep <laughs> among wolves. By the way, what's one thing that's significant that the sheep has that the wolf doesn't have. A shepherd, right? Wolves don't have a shepherd. You know, and, and I think that's where the aware 
but not afraid comes in. We got a shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I'll even lay down my life for the sheep. And I'm always protecting my sheep in the sense of a hired hand when he sees the wolf coming does what? Runs away. But not Jesus, not our shepherd. And, and, And through his sacrifice, we have the promise of ultimate victory with him. And so we go out aware, but not afraid. You know, um, his instruction. By the way, this is, this is a good time for me, I, I think, to just want to remind us as a church. Jesus is the chief shepherd of his church. I believe that Jesus is the chief shepherd of every local church that's a true church. But in that chief shepherding of the church, Jesus calls certain ones to be under shepherds, uh, you know, accomplishing his purposes with the flock. And I just want to remind you, not only do we have Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, as as we go forth, um, we can have humble courage because we also have under shepherds who care about and want to want to want to help with our souls. And I think about this church. I just I'm telling you, I've been to other churches, pastored other churches. I just feel so privileged and blessed to be here because because you have these elders who have been watching over this church for so long. You have community group leaders and, 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 and Bible study teachers and, and, and ministry leaders and, and pastors in this church. And my goodness, let's go out and, and, and let's be aware. There, there's going to be oppositions as we go and we're going to get our feelings hurt and we're going to get you know, beat down sometimes. But man, we have the shepherd the, the, the chief shepherd, and we have our shepherds. So I praise God for that. He, he, he tells them to go by faith and with focus. In verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. You don't have to take everything with you. When you go on a mission trip, okay, every day is a mission trip. When you go on a mission trip, you can't take 17 suit. Well, I've seen some people try to take 17 suitcases with them. But you, can't, you, know, you, you, just, you, you just trust God, okay? Trust God. Uh, Go focused. He says, and greet no one on the road. And I don't think he's saying be rude. You know, like somebody says, hi, hi, I can't talk to you. You know, I don't think he's saying that. But greetings in those days and in some of those cultures could take days. And and you greet someone and, you know, you end up at their house and, you, you know, you do all this stuff. And I think what he's saying here is if he sent you, and you understand that. Don't let anything distract you from that. You get there. He tells us in verse 5 and 6 to go seeking the peace and salvation of others. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And so that every person we meet, every home in which we go, every relationship that we engage in, that the peace of God and the peace of God's salvation would be coming forth from us. That we would be telling people about God and about his 
awesome glory and his wonderful holiness. And we would tell people about the sin that brings so much brokenness in this world so that we can understand what's actually going on. But then there is that great message of how God has brought an eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, and we can tell people about Jesus and how he is God come to this world in the person of Jesus Christ and he's lived a life without sin so that we can see what the glory of God really looks like. And then, and then he, he it was a perfect sacrifice for our sin, he rose again by the glory of God to defeat sin, death, and hell. And, and that now he is the glorified Lord that's been ascended up into heaven, and he's coming again for those who are his to establish his kingdom forever, and we can be part of that through what he's done for us. Man, it brings such a peace. Isn't it good to know we can tell people, man, you can lay your head down on your pillow tonight and know that if you don't wake up in this world, you'll be with him. And so as we go forth, as we go to work and we go to school and we go shopping, we go into our neighborhood and into our own homes, you know, we're to go with this message of peace, the peace of God. Go, uh, here's number, here's the next one. Go investing in relationships, verse 7, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now, I got to tell you what, when I was a young pastor, everything was about going house to house. And I hated to go house to house. And I was reading through the Bible one day, and I found this verse, and it said, do not go house to house. Man, I circled it. I said, that is my scripture. I'm going to memorize that one, you know. By the way, that is not what it's talking about, all right? But it sounds good. As we go wherever God would send us, and we... We bring the message of Jesus widely. As we find those people, and we call them people of peace, people who are open to the peace of God, and people who resonate with the peace of God and the message that we bring, you stay with them. Don't just do surface relationships. I think sometimes there is a time to go house to house. But once we find those, but, but, but when we find people who are interested to just give them a one-shot of the, of the truths of God and done, like I don't really care about you as a person, I just want to make sure you got my message, boom, onto somebody else. And all we do is those surface relationships. I don't think that's biblical evangelism. If I'm understanding this passage correctly, biblical evangelism is staying with those people who are open to God's peace that you find as you, as you are going out sent for God. And you bring that message and you, you eat their food, and you come to them not just on your terms, but on their terms. Eat their food. You stay at their house. And you let that message go forth. Verse 8 and 9. Go serving needs and sharing Jesus. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. There it is. Come to them on their terms. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. On heal the sick, very interesting. The word means to heal and to serve. You know, uh, heal the sick. And, and, and it's definitely talking about the physically ill. But it's also talking about those with struggles and weaknesses. And, and yes, we pray for them to be healed. And, and then yet we serve them as, as that healing comes. And, and to truly serve and care for those with physical, emotional you know, needs. And, and we are to go, um, you know, offering God's care 
in the physical needs. One of the secrets, I believe, to effective Christian ministry is just meeting people's needs out of the love of Jesus. And we go with that. And we go proclaiming the kingdom of God. You know, that that this world is broken and there's evil here, but there is the perfect holy kingdom of God. And it comes into our lives that we can experience its inward uh, work in our lives in this world. And one day we will live forever in an environment of the perfect holy kingdom of God when Jesus is the king of our lives. Go declaring the truth of the kingdom. Verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the, du- even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Go declaring the sober truth and reality of the kingdom of God, that this is our only hope, that there are eternal consequences to what we do with the message of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And go knowing that and knowing that when people reject that message and that love that we go to share with them the love of God and the message of Jesus Christ. Just know that they're not rejecting us personally. They're rejecting him. And go with a broken heart, I believe, that they've rejected Jesus. Verse 13, woe to you. And by the way, the word woe, doesn't, it's not so much a word about harsh condemnation. It's about deep, deep, heartfelt regret. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would, have been, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And the reminder is, we, we hardly hear about Chorazin at all, and, and Bethsaida not much. And it's like, man, Jesus must have done some amazing things there that aren't even, we don't even know what he did. But we know that they were not accepting him. It will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so there is the reality that not all are going to receive. Brandon, it kind of goes back to when you were preaching about the parable of the sower. And different people are going to be different kind of soil for the planting of the seed of the word of God as we go. So, go with a biblical insight. I'm appointed. That's part of who I am in Christ. Am I surrendered? And then go instructed. Go with vision and prayer. Go go aware, not afraid. Go focused and full of faith, seeking the peace and salvation of others. Go relating and building relationships with people who are open and go serving the needs and sharing Jesus. And that brings me lastly to number three, biblical insight number three. Part of missional living is, is, is understanding I'm blessed. Look what happens when they come. I mean, they must have had a lot of people open to the message as they went. In in, in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy. And what's the first thing they say? (laughs) Lord, 
You're my Lord, you're my God. They confess Jesus. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. It's the, it's the joy. They, they, they came back with joy. The, the joy of knowing that they had participated in that which the spiritual power that comes through the authority of Jesus Christ had been something that they had personally experienced as they went. They, they saw God mightily work in some people's lives. I mean, it's like when you, when you come along and you say, I just can't believe that God... You know, that, that he, he used me, and, 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 he, and, and, and I got to see him actually work in someone's life, and, and, and wow, it was just so exciting to them, seeing the transforming power of God through a ministry they'd participated in. It's pretty incredible. Jesus never promised them the power to cast out demons, but they did. <laughs> One commentator, Edwards, wrote, the experience of discipleship is more, not less, than what Jesus promised. The 72 had been blessed with the ability to speak, and evil spirits fled. They had no doubt seen people physically and emotionally healed. They had experienced God's power working in people's lives, going from spiritual death to spiritual life through Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so Jesus' response was interesting. And this is such a, a rich biblical phrase. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's a rich phrase. It'd be good for study. For the purposes of the, today, the obedience of the 72 proclaiming the kingdom of God under the appointment of Jesus Christ as Lord it is somehow related to that spiritual victory that we see throughout the history of the Bible that Satan has fallen and that he is a de defeated enemy. You know, the, 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 it, it all, that spiritual victory has a culmination in the ministry of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the emphasis is that Satan has fallen and he's utterly defeated and condemned. And so that every time that Jesus is proclaimed and the kingdom of God is proclaimed, there is a reminder that the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is the king and Satan is falling and he will be condemned for all eternity. Some of those who Jesus said, well, all of those who Jesus said this to, he goes on to say in verse 19, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I, I don't think this means we should go get a bunch of snakes and scorpions and do dances on them. Okay? I think the power of the statement is that there's nothing that Satan or this world can throw on us that will eternally or spiritually uh, harm us. I believe that Jesus brought them some literal protection over physical things as they went. But I'm also reminded that some of these 72 no doubt experienced persecution and some of them perhaps even martyrdom. And so the reminder is that there is an ultimate authority and an ultimate protection that comes through Jesus Christ and his name 
I'm telling you, in 100 years from now, <laughs> you know, we'll be sharing through Jesus Christ the victory of Jesus. And there will be the ultimate and eternal demise of the evil one. So then finally we get to verse 20. By the way, I call that joy of being there as God is at work in me and in the mission and in other people's lives, I call that the secondary joy of mission. But here's the greatest joy. And don't miss it. Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Wow. Don't rejoice. Don't, you, don't just go around merely rejoicing that, yeah, I have an appointment from God and I've been surrendered and I've sensed his calling and I went and, and I saw God at work and I saw God protecting me and I had all these things and that's my greatest joy. No, no, no. Jesus even went so far as to say, don't rejoice in that. You rejoice that you have the privilege of having your name written in heaven. For a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21, we read that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will share in the glory of God's kingdom forever. And so why is it so important to have your name written in heaven? Because only those who have their names written in heaven will be there. And so I want to end with this. It's a very familiar scripture. Jesus was talking about life and death and eternity. And he said these words in John 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't, and, and by the way, that word troubled means to be without a way. Don't you be without a direction to turn when it comes to life, death, and eternity. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Take the faith that you have in God, place it in Jesus Christ, his son. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Man, you know, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And what did Jesus say? I am the way. And I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And as one of your pastors, I just want to say, you know, our names don't get written in heaven because we go to church or because we have studied some scripture. It's through Jesus as, as our King, as our Lord, and our surrender to him for who he is. And... I would hate to bring a message like this and try to go through it and say, man, there's a lot of instructions on here and a lot of hope here for how we go forth and live a missional life. But man, wouldn't it be horrible to hear a message like that and miss the greatest joy? And that is to know that my name is written in heaven. And your pastors are available. You got other, man, I love the way you say it, Brandon. We, there's Christians here that are available to talk to you about that. If you're wondering about those things, and then maybe some of us need to make some specific surrendering commitments, you know, to living on mission. I'll tell you the one that I had, and then I'll close. 
the, the one thing that really got to me as I studied out this scripture this week was on the prayer. And I felt like God was saying to me, Jim, are, who are you praying for specifically every day to come to faith in Christ? And I've tried to have that discipline in my life through the years. And I had to say, God, man, with making this move and getting busy in a new community and not really knowing people who don't know Christ, I am, I am not specifically praying for anybody that way. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to do that or anything like that. I'm just saying that's how God spoke to my heart. And, and by the way, I changed that for me, okay? And I'm just wondering how God's speaking to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Um, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, God, that we can be part of what you're up to in this world. And I most of all want to thank you, God, that there really is the opportunity for us to have our names written in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing privilege. In Christ's name, amen.